was starting out in youth ministry a long time ago, there was a young man that I encountered named Nate. Nate was one of those kids that it was a pleasure to have him in student ministry because he was a charismatic kid, but more than that, he understood the Bible. He could quote all the right verses. He could sing all the songs. Nate was a kid that really drew kids and other peers unto himself. He was a natural leader, and he commanded the respect of his peers. So for me, just starting out in ministry, it was really a pleasure to have him as a student. But then he went to high school, and aside from the church world, he chose to go to a Christian high school for his education, and he had a different mentor when he was in high school. I was still close to him, of course, but his mentor in high school happened to be my father. See, my dad worked at a Christian school, and he really bonded with Nate, and you know, Nate, Nate was one of those kids where he had to learn things the hard way sometimes, so my father picked up on this immediately took him under his wing because my father in, in his youth was wired very much in the same way. <laughs> it's funny because my father used the experiences, the past pain in his life to help guide him into ministry both formally and informally. And he, he honed right in on Nate. Now, I'll tell you that as Nate went through his high school career, he started falling in line with the wrong crowd. He d developed a, really an affection for the party scene and, and substance abuse became a part of his high school experience. And he had plenty of people speaking into his life, my father, myself, and others, just trying to steer him the right way. But he had to figure it out on his own. Uh, he survived high school with a lot of mentors pouring into his life. He survived college. And then right after college, two things happened immediately, back to back. The first is that Nate decided he was going to go and get married right out of college. And the second is he decided to go into the military to serve our country. He went into the Marines Special Forces Recon. And he did a tour in Afghanistan. And he served our country, and not an exaggeration to say courageously and heroically. <laughs> when he came back from the war... As many young people experience war, come back from it, he was changed. Something had changed and shifted inside of Nate. And so many of the problems from his youth, well, they were shown in full force as an adult when he came back from war. Body, soul, mind, and spirit. Nate came back from that war very much a broken person. He had chronic back pain that he's still experiencing to this day. He's healed from it now. You, all these years later, but he still experiences pain. Mentally and spiritually, he was broken, and emotionally, he was a wreck. His marriage dissolved. The substance abuse that he had experimented with in his youth came back with a vengeance after he came back from war. Nate was hurting, couldn't keep a stable job. His relationship suffered. He was lost. And the deeper he found himself in this pit that he had created for himself, the more he tried to climb out of it and the more frustrated he got. And the deeper substance abuse and bad relationships began to devour him. Nate was in trouble. My father knew it, I knew it. So many people close to him in his life knew it. He was in a pit that he had made for himself. And you know... 
If I'm being honest, so are we all. Maybe your pit is more dramatic than Nate's, or maybe it's less dramatic than Nate's. Maybe for you today, the pit that you experience in life happened to you 20 years ago, and you can remember it vividly. Or maybe it was 20 days ago, or maybe here, right now, you're in the middle of a pit, and you realize it. Oh, to be clear, what are we describing when we talk about a pit today? It is that mess that you make for yourself in life that gets deeper and deeper as you go through pain of life. It separates you from God. That's the pit that we're talking about, a separation from God himself, from the intimacy that you feel connected to your Savior, to the anchor of the Bible, to your family, your faith community. You feel like you're deeper and deeper and you can't get back to where you were. You can't get back to the healthy life that you once lived. You live enough life, you realize we all go through a pit like that. If you live enough life, you realize we all go through many pits like that. I believe that there are two factors involved in the deepening of a pit that we make for ourselves. The first is sin, and that might sound obvious to you, but I need you to really examine your heart today. There is sin that separates us from God, sin of rebellion, the sin of pride, the sin of addiction, the sin of hatred, the sin of envy, the sin of fear. There's so many ways that we sin, go against God's word, go against God's plan for our lives, go against God's blessing for our lives. Even when we're aware of God's blessing for our lives, sin still separates us. And it gets deeper and deeper and deeper as we continue to make poor life decisions. As we continue to try to live our lives on our terms instead of God's plan for our life that he has divinely mapped out for us. Instead of living in the grace of God, we choose to live in the pride of ourselves. Oh, we each create these pits in our life that keep growing and growing. But it's not just sin that deepens this pit, this self-made mess, this lostness away from the health of your life that you know you need and you want to get back to it. Sometimes it is circumstances that we didn't ask for, we didn't want, but they come and they find us. Oh, it's a health diagnosis that you have no words to describe, but it has broken you. You didn't want it, you didn't ask for it, but it's there. Or even worse, it's not just a health crisis that resides in your life, it's someone that you love and you care for, that you love even more than yourself, a parent, a child, a loved one. That'll deepen a pit. For others of us, it's a relationship that is dissolved a close relationship with a family member, or maybe it's a marriage that you've, tried, you've poured your heart and soul into, but your spouse simply doesn't want to repair it. That can deepen a pit in our lives. Or maybe for you, it's financial ruin. You've planned so hard and meticulously throughout the days of your life, and then something happens that just pulls the rug out from underneath your feet financially, whether it's loss of a job or, or some other circumstance. We each can deepen the pit that we create for ourselves. And when you're down in the midst of that pit, and you're looking up and you realize, I need to get out of here, I need to climb out of this pit, 
level of desperation sets in. Oh, being in the pits is not fun. But you live enough life, and you realize we're all in the midst of that pit at one point or another. Nate was in the midst of a, a pit where he knew he was in trouble, and everyone around him did. So he had prayer warriors surrounding him all the time. But still, he remained in that pit. We're going to look at the Bible today because we're going to answer that central question, what do you do when you're in a pit, when you're in that moment of desperation, looking upward and realizing, I can't get out of this mess that I've made. The walls are all around me and they feel like they're closing in on me. My life, well, to say it's not turning out the way I intended it is an understatement. My life is in crisis and I need help. What do you do? We're going to go to the book of Psalm chapter 40. And we're just going to spend time looking at the first five verses, and they'll be on the screen here. Psalm chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, there would be too many to declare. You know, King David wrote this psalm. And to say that King David found himself in a few pits in his life is an understatement as well. There are many to choose from, and we don't know specifically which pit he's referring to here in the psalm, but I believe it captures something that is raw within every single one of us. And there are four aspects of this passage I really want to highlight for you today. If you're taking notes, there are four places I want to go today. The first is that when you're in a pit, you cannot climb out of that pit yourself. I'll say that again. When you're in a pit, you cannot climb out of that pit yourself. And I want to focus on verse 4 here. There's a great contrast that that we see. The the positive side, verse 4, starts off by saying, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Then it's contrasted with what follows. Who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. When you're in a pit... I think our tendency is to try to climb our way out of that pit ourselves. And at the source of it is pride. You see that there in verse 4. Who, who does not look to the proud. The, the source of that is pride. And I think that when we find ourselves in those desperate situations, we try to get creative. And it's not negative unto itself to try to get creative to fix a problem. I think all of us lend itself to that. But when you're in a pit of sin and separation from God. And when you're in a pit of life crisis due to your own sins, but also to the circumstances that have have happened to you, the compounding nature of that is such you can't climb out of that yourself. Oh, but we try. We try so hard to do so. And just to go back to Nate's story real quick, what Nate tried to do when he came back from Afghanistan and he was trying to piece his life back together and it kept getting worse is he went to false gods. When we think of false gods, maybe we think of idols and idolatry, and you'd be right. 
but that image in your mind may be not so accurate. We think of false gods and idols. We think of wooden statues or marble statues or, or literal idols that people pray to. And sure, there are plenty of people that do that in different cultures in our world today. But here in our culture, we've created so many different ways of, of making false gods and worshiping them. Oh, we've never used the, that language to describe it, but that's what we do. So in Nate's case, what he did was he turned to substance abuse. He turned to alcohol. That is such a deceptive false god. And that's where he went to. He tried to self-medicate. And that's not to be confused with real medication, real doctor's advice. I'm not, I'm not trying to infer that at all. He went to self-medicating through substance abuse to try to drown away his problems. That is a potent, powerful, and horrible false god. And that'll take the pit that you're in and that'll deepen it every single time. The other false god that Nate turned to in that moment was he turned to relationships. His marriage dissolved and ended in divorce and Nate just went full tilt into other relationships that were simply ungodly and not good for him and it just destroyed his self-esteem, his self-worth, his spiritual connection, his family connections and it made his problem worse. That's also a very potent and powerful false god. When you put your trust in those relationships, human relationships, family relationships, romantic relationships, none of those are inherently bad, but when that becomes the source of, it becomes a false god for you, then that becomes unsustainable and that does become bad. There's only one god. There's only one solution to the problems of this pit that we find ourselves in. And I guarantee you it's not in the, those false gods. But it's not just limited to substance abuse or relationships. We've created so many false gods in our culture. How about the, the false god of success, and money, and affluence? And if I can just have more stuff, that, then I'll be freed from all the, the problems of my life. Status, relationships in different respects. An escapism sets in. And we don't even realize the pain that it's causing in our lives. Oh, there are so many false gods. When you're in a pit, you try to climb out yourself and it doesn't work. Another way that we try to do this is through the deception of, well, religion. And that might sound like a controversial thing to mention. But this is, the history of religions is us trying to climb our way out of a pit that we've made for ourselves. And if I can just say the right words, and if I can just pray the right way this many times a day, facing this direction, and if I could just read enough self-help books, then maybe I can get myself out of this pit. If I could just go to so many seminars or devote myself to a certain worldview and empty my mind, I can get myself out of this pit. At the end of the day, none of those work. Which leads me to the second point that I want to make to you. When you're in a pit, only God can lift you out of that pit. When you're in a pit, only God can lift you out of it. Let's go to verse one here. David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. It continues on to say, he lifted me out of the slimy pit. I love the adjectives used there. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. And we'll stop there. 
Once you've tried in your pride to solve this yourself, to climb out of that pit yourself, and you get frustrated and you realize you can't do it, once you've gone to all the false gods and they don't satisfy, you're left with this realization, only God can lift me out. And you see that here through the words of David as he, you can hear the emotion in the very first verse. I waited patiently for the Lord and yet he turned to me and then he heard my cry. There has to come a point in your life that you cry out to God. I've tried everything else, Lord, and nothing satisfied is and nothing works and I'm at the end of myself. I can't do this anymore. Friends, the promise of the Bible is that God will not only hear you, he will not only turn to your direction, but that he will lift you out of that pit that you find yourself in, that you've made for yourself. And to be very clear with this, it's not just any hand that reaches into the depths of the pit that you've made and lifts you out of it. It's not just any hand. It is a nail-scarred hand of our risen Savior who reaches into the depths of your life and lifts you out. There is no pit deep enough that God's hand cannot reach into your life and change your life. I promise you that. There's, to go back to Nate's story, it took him two years. Talk about waiting patiently. It took him two years of hitting self-destruct again and again and again in his life before he finally had come to the end of himself and he said, Lord, I need you. I can't do this anymore. The pit has gotten too deep. And in a very, in Nate's case, in a very dramatic moment, he had his life changed by the power of the gospel. He said, enough of me. I'm done. I can't, I can't walk another step in this world. I need you. And he turned his life over to Christ. You know, I, I believe that for some of us, We've never cried out to God that way before. Maybe you've been coming to church for a long time, many years. Maybe you can say all the right Bible verses and sing all the right songs and you've been a part of the right groups. But you've never in your life allowed yourself to cry out to God because nobody knows the depth of the pit that you're in. Friend, I'm here to tell you today, if you would just reach out to God, he will change you forever. But also... I have a word for the Christians, the people that have been following Christ for years, and you think to yourself right now, oh, Pastor Mike, that's great. I remember my pit was 20 years ago, and I remember it vividly. Thank you for preaching a message to the people that are still in need of being saved from that pit, God's hand reaching up and restoring their life. I'm here to tell you, well, when you live enough life and you've gone through enough pits, you realize it's not just a salvific sense of God reaching into your life and changing you. It is a continual need for your Savior. And if we're not careful as Christians, we can develop our own sense of spiritual pride that prevents us from receiving the grace of God in our everyday lives. Just because I've been saved and redeemed by God does not mean that I will not need his loving, saving hand to reach into my life and save me anymore. This is a renewal of spirit that happens over and over again. And boy, it is necessary in our lives because spiritual pride is a deceptive, deceptive false God because it convinces us that I can do this on my own. I'm a Christian. I've got this one. 
I can just practice all the right spiritual disciplines and I can, I can save myself from the pits. No. Only God can lift you out from that pit. Which, of course, leads me to the third thing I want to mention about this passage is when God lifts you out of the pit, he sets your feet on a rock. When God lifts you out of this pit, he sets your feet firmly on the rock. I'm going to go back to verse 2 again. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. It is not just that God reaches into the depth of my life and lifts me out from the mess that I've created for myself and lifts me up from my sin and lifts me up from those forces in life and those situations in life that seek to destroy me, but God will set my feet now on a rock. In the gospel, in Matthew chapter seven, Jesus speaks about this from a different point of view. See, Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount Matthew chapters five and six and seven. And the greatest sermon ever preached. And towards the end of that sermon, he tells a story, a little illustration. And Jesus is a master storyteller. So he uses the illustration of two home builders, the wise and foolish one. And the wise builder is the one who builds his house with a foundation of rock. Why? Well, because when storms come and the rains come and the winds blow and beat against that house, it has a foundation of rock and it's going to stand the test of time with the storms that seek to destroy it. You don't need to be a genius home builder in order to know that. You need a firm foundation. Well, that's contrasted to the foolish builder and the foolish builder is the one who chooses to build his house on a foundation of sand. Well... You don't need to be a Mensa candidate to understand that if you build a house with a foundation of sand, you're going to have problems. Because when the storms come, the winds blow and beat against that house, it is going to fall with a great crash. What was Jesus' point in that story? Well, there were a few of them. But one is that it matters what the foundation you build your life upon is. It matters the foundation of your life. And there we live in a day and an age in which there is a, a gigantic menu list of all the ways that you can build the foundation of your life. Pick and choose one. Uh, so many of those false gods that I referenced earlier are foundations upon which people build their lives on every day. Success and money and status and material wealth. Some people choose their career path as the, the foundation upon which they build their lives. Relationships, healthy ones and unhealthy ones. If you chose to build the foundation of your life on a social cause, you'd be in good company. There'd be plenty of people around you. Some people choose to build the foundation of their lives on a political persuasion or an issue. Some people choose a different worldview or religions to build the foundation of their lives on. Friends, I promise you, every one of those is the equivalent of sand. The foundation of your life can rest in one place only, and that is the rock of Jesus Christ. So in Psalm chapter 40, when David speaks of God lifting us up out of the pit that we find ourselves in and putting our feet on a rock, it is the rock of Jesus Christ. But I need to tell you this, once God lifts you up out of that pit and he puts your feet on a rock, the challenge is there for you to stand on that rock and not be moved. God will provide that firm place for you to stand, but it is up to us to stand there. And the temptations of this life will keep crowding in around us 
And those false gods aren't going anywhere. They're gonna be in our worldview all day, every day, and still the challenge stands. Will I stand on the rock of Christ? Or am I gonna foolishly walk right back into the same pit I was just rescued from? Oh, I wish we would stand Stand firm on Jesus Christ so that he doesn't become just a part of your life, that you can compartmentalize that, but that Jesus Christ becomes the very foundation upon which I build my life, the very definition of my life. And I promise you, if that becomes your rock that you stand on, your life will be forever different. Which, of course, leads me to the fourth principle that I want to share with you as you read through Psalm chapter 40 in these verses. I want to go to verse 3. Actually, before I, before I read verse 3, I just share that with you, is that when God lifts you out of the pit, he puts a new song in your mouth. When God lifts you out of the pit, there's a new song that gets put in your mouth. And here it is in verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. So many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him because why? Because God has placed a song in my mouth that it is my honor and privilege to sing. Many will see God through that. Many will fear God through that and many will put their trust in the Lord because of a song that gets put in my mouth. Well, what in the world does that mean? The song, metaphorically speaking, of course, is our life's message. Every one of us, whether you're a Christian or not, no matter what worldview you have adopted in your life, every single one of us has a life message, a song, so to speak, that defines the rhythm of your life and defines the experiences of your life. Go ahead and allow yourself to think on that. What is your life's message? Don't give me the Sunday school answer. What would the message of your life be? Well, if you find yourself in a pit, the message of your life is going to look and sound a lot different. That song that you sing is going to look and sound a lot different than it does for someone that has their feet firmly planted on the gospel. Oh, when you come to faith in Christ, when God gets a hold of your life and that, those nail-scarred hands reach into the depths of where you're at and put your feet on a rock, you not only are forever different, but there is a song that gets put in your mouth to sing, a new life message that is unique to you. There are some common principles in that life message. I once was lost and now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was in this pit, but God rescued me from that pit. And when, we're, when we come to faith in Jesus, when you put your trust in him and become a Christ follower, that song is right at the front of your playlist. But for too many of us, we've sunk back. That song goes way to the back of our playlist and other songs, other life messages come to the forefront. Oh, this happens all the time. The busyness of life, the other priorities that we have in life. Our faith is still there. But God has given us a song to sing and so many of us in the church have forgotten it. That's a calling for us as Christians to begin to live bold lives of faith. Because through you, other people will see God, other people will fear God, and other people will put their trust in the Lord. Just to go to verse five here, it talks about this. 
Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak of your deeds, there would be too many to declare. Would you do me a favor now? Just take an inventory of your life in 30 seconds or less. Just right now, wherever you are, just think back on the deeds that God has done in your life, the places he has brought you from. When you think of the depth of the pit that God has rescued you from, and when you think of how dramatic it was for God to put your feet on the rock of Christ, think of all those deeds that God has done for you, that God is doing for you, the ways he provides for you. There are too many to count if you allow yourself to really think on it. Oh, he's put a song in your mouth and you, your honor, the privilege of your life is to sing that song. You've got a good singing voice, literally. If you're like me and you can't sing to save your life, it's metaphorically. Sing that life song that God has given to you. The words are not gonna be on the screen here, but just a couple of highlights from verses nine and 10 of this same psalm. I wonder if you could pick up the pattern as I read to you just a few highlights from Psalm chapter 40, verses 9 and 10. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do you see the pattern there? Do you see what God is calling us to do? It is to live our lives in such a way that everyone around us understands and knows the life song of our lives. The testimony of faith that God has given to you is a song that he's put in your mouth. And we are not to be silent as Christians. We are not to shrink back from sharing our lives with other people. But here's a challenge for us as Christians. I'll speak to my own life here. I'm standing firmly on that rock that God has planted me, and I'm standing on Jesus Christ. And as I look around me to my left and to my right, I'm surrounded by other people that are singing a similar song. I'm surrounded by people that have their feet on the same rock that mine is on. And while that's a joy-filled thing, that's a cause for great joy and celebration that we build into one another as the body of Christ if I'm not singing my life song to people that need to hear it, to people that are still stuck in a pit somewhere that have never cried out to God, I'm not living my life the way God has intended for me to live it. The song that God has put in your life is meant to be a testimony of faith so that others may see Christ in you. And we need to be Jesus to the people that don't know him yet. How would the church be different if we live by that principle, if we live bold lives of faith that way, if we declared, yet sometimes you can declare it here in a sermon, but other times you declare it by the way you live your life. How different would our churches be if we lived this way by singing that song that God has put in our heart? So the challenge goes out, and there are two people, two groups of people I really want to highlight here in the few moments we have left. The first is the challenge that does go out to Christians. You've been in the pit and God has rescued you from that pit. You've been through many pits in your life that the hand of God has reached in and he has rescued you time and time again and your feet are firmly planted on the rock of Jesus Christ. The challenge for you is to go out there and to be the voice of God to people that need to hear it the most. 
we have a saying here at Grace Fellowship. The saying is, your life is your ministry. Nothing could, be, nothing could better define this moment, this calling for us than that phrase. Your life is your ministry and go out and preach it and go out and sing it and go out and live it. But I also want to just focus in a little bit here in the time we have left on a second group of people. You're here today and there's never come a point in your life where you've looked heavenward and you've called out to God and you've cried out to him in the desperation of your soul because you've tried everything else. You've tried the false gods and it's deepened your pit. You've tried through pride to fix this problem on your own. You've tried the other religions and worldviews and ways of life and nothing seems to suffice. The challenge for you is for the first time in your life, cry out to him. You don't need to have the right words. You just need to have your heart centered on, on Christ. Cry out to him. And now here's, here's the promise of the Bible. God will hear you. He will reach his hand into your life and he will change you forever. And when he lifts you up out of the pit that you're in right now, he will put your feet on the rock of Jesus Christ if you cry out to him in faith. And that'll change your life forever and he will give you a new song to sing. Real quick about Nate. Not only did he cry out to God years after he got back from Afghanistan, God gave him a new song to sing. And you know what? He's beginning to sing that. He's got a stable job. He's remarried. He has a different perspective in his life. And other than those external factors, God has given him a powerful testimony of faith. A life that was once lost but is now found. A person who is in this horrific pit that God himself lifted him out of. And Nate is influencing other lives for Jesus Christ. If it worked for him, I promise you it can work for you. So if you've never cried out to God, I want to invite you to do that. I want to invite you to change your life, not by any measure of your own, but by the grace of God, that hand of God reaching into your life and changing you. But, but can I share with you the most, maybe the most difficult part in this? It's not understanding that God is reaching into your life to lift you out of the pit. The most difficult part for many of us is to take your hand and reach up and receive God's hand. There's too much pride that gets in the way sometimes. There's too many, too many hurts that prevent us from reaching heavenward and grabbing the hand of God and allowing God to lift us up. I'm here to tell you right now it's okay to do that. You reach out to him in faith and your life will be forever different. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We look to you, the author of our very lives. We look to you in this moment and recognize our own brokenness, our own need for a savior. Lord, we recognize the pit that we're in and all the ways that we've tried to climb our, our way out of that pit and none of it has worked. God, in our desperation, we cry out to you knowing that you are the holy, holy, holy God who hears us. Lord, and we stand on this promise that if we cry out to you, to you, you will hear us in this moment right now. And that through Jesus Christ, 
who lived a blameless life, who died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins, that that Jesus would reach into the depths of who I am, would take this broken life and put my feet on new ground. Lord, I stand on that promise. I need you in my life. I give you my very self, and I pray that you would change me forever. <laughs> Lord, I need a new song in my mouth. I need a new testimony of faith. So God, I give you myself, and I ask that you change me. In Jesus' name, amen.